This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 9th, episode 2615. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Welcome back, Karen. Good morning. <laughs> On the first or second Tuesday of every month, Karen Chatton stops by, accomplished endurance rider. Uh, and we do, we kind of geek out on all things endurance and horse, but don't let that fool you. We have lots of fun and interesting chats, um, both in the lifestyle category as well as the training category for folks who are not endurance riders. So don't turn this off just yet. Um, And one of my favorite parts about the show is when Karen opens things up with her adventures from last month. We need a bumper (laughs) for that because in my opinion, this is my humble opinion, endurance riders have the most amazing adventure stories of any discipline. So (laughs) what have you been up to? We do. Uh, Well, COVID of course kind of, dampen things down a bit but that hasn't stopped me from being able to shop (laughs) (laughs) see online shopping online shopping and one of the the things I've got to to mention this month is first of all Apollo finally got decked out in his all-new tack from the distance depot in electric blue and he looks absolutely wonderful in it and it fits perfect. I ordered it. And the great thing with like Distance Depot is they make everything exactly how you want. And they did a great job. And now I'm just waiting for the snow to melt a little bit so that when Apollo decides to get super frisky and blast off, we're not going to go sliding into home plate on the ice. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) um, (laughs) and if that does happen, I have a new safety vest from, uh, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. Denise, Denise from Italy. They right now have 70% off of their equestrian safety gear. Interesting. And it ships from Italy. Shipping is included to the United States, but 70% off is a great deal because these are like $400 vests that you can get for under $100. So what what made you go and find – did this something that you randomly came across or were you familiar with the brand from elsewhere? um, Actually, I had seen on some of the horse forums people were talking about the, you know, the higher quality and the – you know, just the technology because they make these for other sports as well, like skiing and motocross and stuff. And so they're super high tech. 
Huh. And and I just happened, yes, I just happened to be looking and thinking, you know, as you get older, the ground gets harder and farther down. It does, yeah. <laughs> so, There's a shift there. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I had happened to come across and meet online the the couple that originally owned my new newer horse and i i guess they told me that he could really zip out from underneath a mm-hmm. uh, human mm-hmm. and um, was really good at that he hasn't done that with me on the several rides that we've done um you know uh, and i guess it's probably because i'm used to riding chief for so long because chief can do massive deceleration moves and sideways levitations and things like that and i've been riding him for 20 years so um i'm not sure if apollo just hasn't gotten around to it yet <laughs> now do, do chief and apollo have different spooking styles uh they're very actually very similar and i'm not sure if it's a gray horse thing because they're both gray uh you know they both um have silly things that they look sideways at Mm -hmm. um you know but i i think that's probably all horses like i know we've got two goats on the corner just a couple houses down from us and the first time apollo saw, saw that i mean his brain literally just blew up <laughs> and um and and the fun part is that the the little kids that live there told me a, a week or two ago that the kids they're they're expecting kids the goats are pregnant so Aww. once we get the little baby goat kids and they come running towards apollo he's really gonna it's gonna be totally uh, it's gonna be a rodeo it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be very fun yeah. Lots of fun. Yeah. So we have all these little things. You know, you don't realize how much stuff is involved with getting these horses used to accepting just everything that they could possibly run across and on an endurance ride or just yeah. out on training rides. Have you, There's so have, much. you have you had the opportunity to take a, get Apollo out with other horses since you got him? Because you only had him for what, maybe six months or something? Yeah, since August, middle of August, um, he has gone out with a couple of different horses and he's gone out alone a couple of times. And I think what I really want is to get him comfortable going out alone. I want him to become more independent. The first time I took him off the property by himself, I was just hand walking him and he got one house away and he started to rear. Ah! <laughs> That's not a good sign. Not a good sign. Because he was barn sour because he hasn't, he hadn't done anything for like four years or yeah. five years. And so, um, and I, and after getting to know and meet up with his original owners to begin with, I realized he's just a tester. And so what happened that day is I, I didn't let him get away with it. We kept going. And you know what? The next time he didn't do it, he didn't act up. He because he realized like, he well, wasn't going to get yeah. away with yeah. it. Yeah, he's like, well, he's, no, no sense in wasting all that energy. I can save that up for spooking at goats, <laughs> right? Goats or who knows what, you know. So, um, we, you, I've got so many things to expose him to here. I'm right next to a, the, uh, the fairgrounds is a mile from my house. There's a dump. There's two shooting ranges. Everybody during COVID went out and bought off-road vehicles. <laughs> so, yes. 
I've so noticed that, an increase in those in our neighborhood too. <laughs> so we've got that. We've got the mountain bikes. We've got, in fact, my husband has been, you know, helping me. I go out with Apollo and my husband rides his bike in circles around us, comes towards us, comes up from behind. So we're doing all sorts of stuff to try to get him to where he can handle all these things so that if I am on a narrow single track trail on the side of a mountain and a bike comes, you know, coming towards us at high speed, we're not going to, you know, fall off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just got a, a so. funny repertoire of things that set him off. And it's, yeah, mm -hmm. and it's, it usually has to do with um, the sun filtering down through the trees and you get those little shiny <gasps> spots on the bark or on leaves. That, yes. Or uh -huh. photographers. Yeah. Photographers. Yeah. And I yeah. love it. And I so appreciate it when the photographer puts a little sign on the trail. We spook at that too, but because there's always <laughs> sun shining on it because they put it out there in the sun where you can see it. Um, uh, a little sun says, caution, photographer yeah. ahead. It's like, okay, grab a hold of the next strap. <laughs> <laughs> I have all these pictures of Nigel spooking. I I see the sign and I think, okay, let's see. Heels down. Let's uh, stop <laughs> yanking my horse's head off. <laughs> let's try to sit up. <laughs> Smile. You know, all the things, you know, you're doing that you shouldn't do. You yeah. don't really want it captured in a photo. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Got a few of those. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Grabbing hold of my uh, my helmet brim so it doesn't fly off behind me because we're jettisoning up. Yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've had a few I've got actually I do have a couple of ride photos where I'm off in the ditch oh. <laughs> on the side of the road because the horse saw the photographer and went sideways yeah it, it's just unlike a regular <laughs> horse show where there's humanity all around on an endurance ride once the <laughs> riders go out it's horses with humans on top of the horses and that's it. So when you have this random human sitting still in the woods, I don't blame uh -huh. the horses for spooking. Right. Especially if they're kind of new at it. They, yeah. you know, like Chief is fine because, well, he's done it for almost 20 years. Yeah. So he's now, okay. If, if it was, no. if it was a small group of photographers and there were five people there <laughs> with a tent and a water, water bucket, the horses wouldn't even care. They'd stop for a drink, but it's one human. Uh -huh. And why is he sitting there so quietly? Right. <laughs> yeah. or, or they're crouching down like they're waiting to get you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty cool. So Apollo's got all of his goodies. Now, I know he, he's probably not shaped a little, despite the fact that he's similar color to Chief, he's not going to be shaped the same because he's part thoroughbred and part Arab. How you, How are you doing with your... Oh, yes. Search. He's been such a finicky or I have never had a horse so finicky. Um, but I did. I was able to actually I scored a saddle online through the Facebook marketplace. And that thing is great because I searched this lady. She was like in literally in Kansas and she had never used PayPal before. Wow. So I talked her through that and I got this saddle for a great price and it's like practically brand new when it came. It didn't have a horse hair on it. It came with a brand new mohair girth, wow. not a hair on it, no sweat marks, nothing. And it fits him just 
beautifully. And uh, so I think he's going to be a happy camper. Um, He doesn't like English rigging. He's very particular. So this has got a center fire um, western type girthing on it. Mm -hmm. And I've tried it on him and it seems to fit him just really nicely. So we're looking forward to getting out and, and, uh, you know, breaking that in and so it, getting some for somebody who's not it, familiar you know? with rigging if you're an english rider rigging refers to how the um girth slash cinch attaches to the saddle at what point mm-hmm. um front to back at what point it attaches there so explain what center fire looks like to the uninitiated okay sure so like with English rigging, it's you have the two straps that are about an inch wide each, and they come down off the side of the saddle. Uh, and, and at least with the other saddles I've got that are English rigging, they're more forward, more towards the horse's close to the horse's elbow, mm-hmm. versus the center fire rigging, which the Straps are attached to the front and the rear of the saddle, and it meets somewhere in the in the center, in the middle, between the front and the back of the saddle, and that helps move the uh, girth or the cinch further back on the horse. Mm-hmm. And for a horse like Apollo, he's much more comfortable. I mean, and he's not shy about voicing his opinion. Like he, when I tried to ride him with the uh, English rigged saddle, he would turn around and literally chew on the straps. Isn't that funny? He was exle- just letting just you know, wasn't he? Very opinionated. And um, and then when I put him in the in a Western rigged center fire rigged saddle, or with the new one I just got for him. Uh, fine. He's fine. Doesn't bother him at all. Everything's okay. So, so, um, so it's not always ulcers. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, that I don't know if it would have been better to have, if, if it had been ulcers to treat for that or to buy a new saddle. There you go. (laughs) You know, either way, it's going to cost you money. But, um, no, I don't think, I don't think it was ulcers because he doesn't do it at all um on even on the long rides where we've been out for three or four hours um with the western type rigging that's further back on him he um but then again i think that also um had less strap material on him Mm -hmm. with the um (laughs) just the way it fits him so he's perfectly comfortable in the new new set up and and then I went ahead and got him all his new tack and so now he's got his own new color and everything's wonderful and now we just got to go do some miles what saddle what saddle blankets as they call them there you go that's that's what it's all about so, putting the time in the saddle right exactly there you go now on <laughs> to the next my my second favorite part I don't know sometimes it goes back and forth first favorite second favorite um Karen always impresses us with her training or horse care tip of the month. And seeing as how much of the country as we record this show is heading into mud season, I thought this one was timely. Or has been. Thrush prevention. Oh my gosh, thrush. Ugh. 
Exactly. Thrush can make your horse lame. So this is an important thing for anybody with a horse, whether you're an endurance rider, trail rider, or just, a, you know, somebody that wants to keep your horses happy and healthy is thrush prevention. And um, there's, you know, basically the most important thing to keep your horse from getting thrush is to keep their feet clean and keep the manure picked up and uh, you know so they're not able to stand in it because as you know anybody that's ever had a horse they just have this propensity to poop and then back up and step in oh my gosh right nigel has a skill oh my gosh oh i know (gasps) don't they yes and so if you can keep them from stepping in it and standing in it and packing it in their feet, you know, that's the the main battle right there. But so once your horse does end up with a case of thrush, which when I got Apollo, he did have some thrush and they have uh, like, you know, in the back of their heel where the, the heel bulbs are in the center, mm-hmm. they get this crack mm-hmm. that thrush wants to get in there and it wants to get in the in the um in the frog really bad and you end up with these deep just crevices that can develop and that can really make them sore but it also keeps their feet from becoming really healthy so you want to try to keep you know keep their feet cleaned out so they're not you know full of manure and stuff like that uh and I developed a recipe that I I did a bunch of experimenting over the last few months with Apollo. And this is what I came up with. And it works really good. As I take a cup of clay mud, like the kind you would use to wrap a horse's leg with. Poultice. Yeah. Like a poultice. Yes. Just plain old clay. And I have a Redmond, a tub, like a gallon tub from Redmond of their clay. So I take a, a cup of that and then I, take a cup of zinc oxide powder and zinc oxide is what they use to make desitin and you can order that online now do you Uh, use pure zinc oxide powder or do you use powder with zinc oxide in it i use just pure zinc oxide powder and then if you do have a bad case of thrush Uh, that you are treating versus just maintaining you can also add one or two teaspoons of or tablespoons of copper sulfate which you can also order that online and it's really not that expensive so i think you can get that at um farrier supply stores too if i remember right you probably can and you just have to remember it can be a little bit caustic so if you're coming in contact with it at all you want to wear gloves and wash up really good afterwards if Mm -hmm. if you put that in but if you're just doing maintenance you know keeping your horse's feet cleaned out um and mixing this up you may or may not need to add the copper sulfate to the mix um and then what what you do is you mix it up until it's sort of like um it's thick enough so that when you put it into your horse's foot into the crevices and stuff it's going to stay in there which is what you need so that once you turn them back out and they're walking through mud and snow and ice this mud and clay mixture with the zinc oxide is going to stay firmly yeah in in place and 
then it keeps any of the other gunk from getting in there basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's, uh, that's what I've been doing. You can use, you know, if you put um, some rubber gloves on when you apply it, or you can use a toothbrush and just, I dip the toothbrush into the um, container and then just kind of um, mush it into the horse's foot really mm-hmm. good. And, um, kind of pack it in and that seems to be working really really good and it's just it's working so well i can already see a huge improvement in apollo's hooves in in a few months so now it's before you put this kind of stuff any before you put any thrush treatment into your horse's feet you have to clean them out really well what is your go-to product and or method for cleaning things out before you put it in um just a hoof pick and then I have a wire brush that I use to really scrub and get everything out of there. And you know, when now right now we've had snow for a couple of weeks. And so as they come through walking in through the snow, it they have I don't know what you would call it, little balls that come out of their feet and mm-hmm. big you know, and then their feet are nice and clean. Yeah, that's actually. that's the that's probably the nice singular thing. Yeah. lovely thing about snow is their feet <laughs> are really super clean. <laughs> it kind of is because now we're kind of getting into the middle where it's been getting up into the 50s. So it's starting to melt. So they come in and that now they've got a mix of mud everywhere along with the snow. <laughs> so it's kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes it difficult. Horsekeeping is, uh, yeah, not for the faint of heart if you live in a an area where there's any kind of uh, climate changes or weather changes going on throughout the year. I don't think horse care is for the faint of heart, period. For anybody. Period. (laughs) It doesn't matter what, where, period. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Exactly. I know. (laughs) Well, I think it's time for us to give uh, Kristen at the Distance Depot a call and find out what she's up to. Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, so I'm sure she has something on the charts. The Distance Depot Horse Lovers Outlet. This is Kristen. Hi, good morning, Kristen. It's Karen and Jennifer. Hi, Karen and Jennifer. How are you doing today? Oh, freezing. Are you? Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, I'm the only one in the store today. Uh, no one was here yesterday. I'm thinking it's looking kind of bleak for the next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad weather. How about you? Oh, you know, it's not too bad. We're not finally bad. getting getting some snow to melt but it's uh-huh. a slow we haven't it's been y- decades i think since we've had this much snow sticker around this long yeah. where we yeah. are it, and then there's jennifer in florida right <laughs> yeah but, we're, uh, are you chilly are you chilly we're, there, we're suffering terribly here uh-huh. it's been in the <laughs> 60s during the day for days and days and days <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds hard to take at the moment. It is hard. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> we need cheering up. We need cheering up, Kristen. Tell us all about the wonderful things available for Valentine's Day or just because they're cool. Right. Okay. Well, we have tons of stuff on the website. And how I was thinking we should mention, too, if folks aren't signed up for our email blast at the bottom of the website, they can sign up. And um, we have... We just did a free shipping event for Valentine's Day, so sign up so you can see these specials. We don't inundate you. We don't send you six emails a day. We get one a week. Um, so, thank you, thank um, you, in the thank rare you. Occasion, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but we have great things for Valentine's Day. Um, lots of horsey-themed gifts, like gift paper, even horse-themed wine gift bags to put your wine in if you're given a gift. Um, kitchen towels, tissue box covers for your bathroom, um, duffel bags. Everything has horses, of course, right? Um, we have wine tumblers in stainless steel with cool horsey designs on them and water bottles, coffee mugs, um, playing cards for the kids. I mean, there's all kinds of cool gifts, beautiful horse scarves and little horsey signs, inspirational signs. <laughs> so We need that um, this lots, year. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Spillover effect and, from last year. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and, and beautiful horse jewelry. So we have a whole page dedicated to equine jewelry. And we support an artist, actually a couple artists. One of them is Melody Blittersdorf, who many of you might know, some, some of you writers might know. Um, she's a farrier as well. So she makes beautiful handmade um, jewelry with horseshoes and cool inspirational designs. And then um, another gal named, um, her her company is called Genuinely Jenny, and she works with a process that's um, beautiful. She makes filigree, um, intricately hand-carved, old-process, wax-carved jewelry um, out of, of course, stainless uh, um, sterling silver. And they're just beautiful designs. Lots of different, and some of those carved ones actually end up being one of a kind. So pretty special jewelry there. And you can find that on the website. And, of course, you know, this right now I'm thinking a pair of gloves would be a good idea. (laughs) Uh But lots of winter riding gear for right now. Um, Horse blankets for your horse, of course. Tons of stuff. And, of course, if you don't know what to get, um, give a gift certificate. Let them decide. We have um, several different methods. You can um, choose to have it printed and mailed to you, or you can have us quickly email it so it can be given in time for Valentine's Day. If you don't have time to order something, maybe a custom tax set. Um, (laughs) So a gift certificate is always a good choice. And, And what's your number and website address? Um, the phone number to reach us is toll-free 866-863-2349, and it's on the website. And you can see us, um, all of our goodies, at www.thedistancedepot.com. And one more quick question before we let you go, Kristen. For someone who wants to order custom tack, and you have mm-hmm. bridles, reins, halters, breastplates, you name it, um, what's a typical turnaround for custom tack? Um, I think we pride ourselves um, on having the fastest turnaround time in the industry. I mean, we are busting it out. (laughs) Typically, if you order, your order goes out that same day. If we've had a huge sale, it might take a couple days, but we generally get your order out the same day or next day um, when you order. And um, so that's pretty much unheard of and for the quality. And, um, you know, the post office is getting better. Things are moving along. We haven't had, um, you know, what we, we aren't seeing what we saw back in Christmas. So things have certainly yeah, improved. Yeah, things are smoothed out a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, it's still very busy. As an online retailer, we are just rocking and rolling for January and February. So we're very thankful Good. to Perfect. all your listeners. And <laughs> also, I, I highly recommend... 
the embroidered things from the Distance Depot. I have lots of embroidered stuff with our company logo on it. So I have lots of stuff for Horses in the Morning and for Horse Radio Network. And I've got it from lots of different places that do embroidery. And the embroidery from Distance Depot is top quality. There you go. Regardless, you. Of, regardless of what item you're putting <laughs> it on, the the embroidery itself is excellent. So I highly recommend it. Yes, and you can go right on. We have a whole page dedicated to the embroidery, too. And we have tons of um, great things, duffel bags, jackets, all of that. And you can hats. You can put your um, – even get the Horse Radio Network and the Horses in the Morning logo on it. And you can choose it right there from the website. There we go. So I really need, simple. I, I need yeah. to order some more baby pads because mine have – they're about five years old now, and they're sort of permanently gray-colored. So time for some new oh. ones. I'm going to be giving you a call. Time to shop. Time to <laughs> shop. You bet. Well, thanks a lot, Kristen. Thank you. Have a great thanks, day. Thanks, Kristen. Bye. Bye. Always fun. See, now I'm, now I'm shopping. Golly. I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, they have some really cool... I, I have a, I have a, an attachment to bags and pocketbooks and fanny packs of all sorts so now i'm going there oh they have back on track stuff too okay sorry focus Jen. focus <laughs> i know i know i was looking at all their gift stuff they have such nice a nice selection of gifts equestrian horse themed stuff i i mean yeah it was uh kind of hard to not just want to keep going add the cart add the cart <laughs> <laughs> Our guest this morning is Erin McChesney. She's a longtime, lifetime endurance rider. She's been literally riding since she was a junior rider. She has completed the Tevas multiple times, including winning it twice and winning the Hagen Cup twice. And she's a very accomplished uh, rider. I've seen her ride. I remember being at Tevas back in the 90s. And watching her leave out of the vet checks, and she was just so uh, well balanced, a magnificent rider. So, listen in. Well, good morning, Erin. Thank you for joining us. How's your day going? Oh, it's going well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I know we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about because we did a Zoom conversation a couple of weeks ago with some of our junior riders, and you had a lot of fun stories to tell. And so I want to kind of go over a little bit about your uh, writing history starting when you were a junior. So tell us how you got started writing endurance and how old were you? Okay. Um, so I started riding endurance. Um, my first actual ride I did was in 1979. Um I got my first horse when I was about nine going on 10 years old and had the good fortune that my, where I lived here in cool California, that in the neighboring town in Pilot Hill, um, Terry Reed lived there and she was training in a barn in Pilot Hill. And she became my first official riding instructor. And Terry Reed had been around the Tevis all of her life. She uh, is an NATRC judge. Um, had recently won the national championships in NATRC. And so I found myself with this amazing instructor to get me started. And of course, I had previously fallen in love with the Tevis when I was nine going on 10, when my parents bought the store in Cool because we moved up here that summer. And the lady that worked for us, her name was Diane Holt. 
she used to go down to the upper quarry crossing of the Tevis at about mile 94. And she would hand out fried chicken to the riders and had hot coffee available for them and carrots for the horses. And then uh, she would put on bright red lipstick (laughs) and all the people that she knew really well, their horses, she would put on fresh Revlon bright red lipstick and kiss their horses on the end of the nose. And then the horses that would finish would have this lipstick print on the end of their nose. And they were known as Diane's horses. So my, my first summer up here, I was down there as this wide-eyed child, just like, oh my gosh, and I have to do this kind of a thing. And um, and then the next year, we found a horse, and then I started training with Terry, who had all this experience with endurance and NATRC. So within a couple of years, I was you know, beginning my journey, and uh, I actually did the Mount Diablo NATRC ride first before I did my first endurance ride, which was um, one that was held here in Cool, also was called the International Championship, even though it wasn't international, but it was because of the International Arabian Horse Association Championship. But they also had a ride for everybody else. And so that was my how I started my first two rides of the year. Okay, and then uh, you... Obviously, you wanted to do Tevis. So tell us about that first Tevis ride that you did. So, I mean, I, I like I said, with I was a kid and seeing all these horses come through at Upper Quarry, you know, mile 94, that was when I knew, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Um, we also had another employee at our store named um, Carlin um, keen and she worked for us and she was always trying to get her horse ready for tevis but always something happened and she couldn't make it so i knew then that i wanted to do it and then just to add that extra backstory the dormer of my bedroom faced west and i could watch the moon go down over pointed rocks which was the main vet check after you crossed upper quarry and so i used to dream out that window all the time one day i'd ride the tevis and I was really mm-hmm. lucky. Maybe mm-hmm. I top 10 and, you know, and the real pie in the sky would be, of course, to win it maybe someday and or get Hagen Cup. Um, <laughs> so the so the second year I was riding endurance, I was uh, California State Horsemen's Association um, junior endurance champion. And I finished Tevis my first try. And I was 14 on my very first horse that I owned, a little uh, Arab quarter named Chapo. And, um, I had trained and gotten ready and I had uh, Kathy Tellington was my going to be my sponsor. And she was my other instructor that a kind of unofficial, but other instructor that I had during the same time I was taking lessons with Terry and um, Kathy Tellington, she, her and her husband, boy, they were like on this almost clockwork type of schedule to get ready for Tevis. And then the week of the ride, her horse, was off and she couldn't go. So I had to last minute to get a new sponsor. And um, a lot of people, you know, that last couple of weeks going into Tevis, they're not really eager to take on a junior, especially if they haven't ridden with that junior. Mm-hmm. And um, so a gentleman who came into the store, whose name I don't remember, um, he told my parents, oh, I've sponsored a lot of juniors. I'll take Aaron through to Tevis. So here I was with this complete stranger going to do this ride. And those were the days where 
they started around 400 or 450 horses on the Tevis. And wow. you had to, you had to draw a number to be in a lottery. And then they would let people out 10 at a time. So I didn't really get to draw a number. My sponsor drew a number and then they would let us, they would time you out. And that otherwise, you know, the congestion to try to go up the hill from Squaw Valley to um, Watson Monument would have just been nightmarish. So anyway, um, so we started that morning and all I had to do was just try to remember what this guy looked like and his horse looked like <laughs> to follow him. And everything was okay through Robinson Flat. And then we got to Last Chance and the ride was different back then. It had a lot more vet checks and a lot more holds. Um, and we got to Last Chance and he drank a six pack of beer and we were stuck there like an extra 15 minutes or so. And I had been trained between Terry and Kathy that, you know, you ride from this point to this point in exactly this amount of time, you know, so many minutes from here to here, so many hours plus so many minutes from here to here. Here's where all the water is. This is how you do it. I mean, they had me on this lockdown schedule. And uh, so I'm starting to stress a little bit because we had this 15 minute delay. And then we go across the next Canyon to, um, devil's thumb and he drank some more beer there and held us back a little bit more there and then we go through the next canyon and I was watering my horse coming up to Michigan Bluff and by then he was drunk enough to be very belligerent and vulgar and he started cussing me out because I was letting my horse drink on the way up that canyon and I just said well my horse is thirsty and he he called me all kinds of names and said all kinds of terrible things about my horse and that he could drink when he got to Michigan Bluff because his whole motivation by that point was how can I get to the next stop and drink more Budweiser. So we got into Michigan Bluff and I was a bit of a wreck to say the least. I was crying and I was mad and um, I didn't know any profanity then. So I was using whatever the equivalent of a 14 year old, no profane word, cuss words were. <laughs> and um, told him, I, I, I can't ride with this guy. You know, I said, we were, 45 minutes behind schedule already and he's drunk and he's calling me names words I've never even heard so they my crew split my mom and uh some friends went and helped me and my horse and then this other gal that was with us Anne, and my dad went to ride management to try to get us a new sponsor get me a new sponsor and they said they couldn't do it then and there they would work on it when we got to the next stop which was White Oak Flat, because back in those days, we didn't go, to, there was no California Loop Trail. So you rode up and went along Forest Hill Road for quite a ways, and then you would dive off of it, kind of take a left, and then go down to White Oak Flat. And um, so my my uh, friend Ann, who was kind of the head sponsor, head not head sponsor, but my head um, crew member who knew the most, she told me, she said, you ride like you know how between here and White Oak Flat, and I'll make sure you have a new sponsor when we get there. So I did, and so this guy, he's following me. He's drunk. He's screaming and yelling and cussing at me the whole time. His crew were driving alongside of me on, on Forest Hill Road, throwing beer cans at me and cussing at me and calling me all kinds of names. And I just, my horse, he was magnificent. I was just like, Chapo, just, you know, that was his name. I'm like, just Pick whatever gear you want, man. You know where you are. We're just going to go. And so I just hauled butt all the way down to White Oak Flat. 
And when I got there, they, uh, they told me that I had a new sponsor. So I said, well, you know, that's great. And I was so relieved and everything. And they say, you see that really tall guy over there? That's who you're going to ride with. And he's sponsoring several other juniors. So you just go with him to Auburn. And I said, okay. And I didn't know who it was. It turns out to be Pat Fitzgerald. And he was sponsoring several juniors that day. So I followed them out of the vet check, crossed the river, came all the way up into Cool, went through, you know, Highway 49, where Diane was there with her Revlon red cherry lipstick to give my horse Chapu a big smooch on the end of the nose so he could finish as one of Diane's horses. We got up to the vet check used to be at Pointed Rocks, which is where I could watch the moon go down from my bedroom window. And went through the vet check and I followed them, you know, down to Auburn and rode across Snow Hands Bridge in the moonlight at about four in the morning and had this just amazing experience, you know, and and finished the ride at 4.30. So I went up to uh, Mr. Fitzgerald afterwards and shook his hand and said, thank you for bringing me into Auburn. And he goes, oh, is that why you were following us? <laughs> he had forgotten or I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. So I kind of feel like I rode like the last 20 miles of the ride essentially by myself. And, um, but it was all fine. It all worked out fine. And I finished and everything. Um, but it was a little bit of a stressful event to say the least, you know, I was very lucky and I was, had a good animal and really good horse and uh, that made it all better. Yes, you definitely had some interesting experiences as a junior. Tell us the one about when you rode with Potato Richardson. Mm. So I'd known Potato all my life, and um, <laughs> and and I got along great with Potato. I still I still see, run into him all the time, and you know we have a lot of history. We've we've decades of friendship, and. Um, it was one of the last, if not the last ride that I actually needed a sponsor. So it was one of the gold country rides up in Georgetown. And um, so mom goes, well, what are you going to do about a sponsor? I go, I don't know. I'll ask somebody, somebody, you know, by then everybody knew who I was. So they were, you know, I could get somebody to sponsor me pretty easily. Um, And I said, Oh, we'll find somebody. It'll be no big deal. And she goes, well, I'll go ask potato. I said, okay. So she comes back and she says, Oh yeah. He said, told no problem. You know, um, you guys, you know, he'll sponsor you tomorrow. He knows it's your last one. So I start that morning and potato totally drops the hammer. I mean, he is just booking on this ride and, and I'm thinking, man, I really don't want to go that fast. And then I knew where I was and I thought, I'm just going to back off a little bit. You know, my poor horse is just like, I'm done. And then a quarter mile out from the vet check or whatever, I, I was like, yeah, just walk, you know, let my horse come down. So my mom tells me later, she goes, she goes, potato comes barreling into the vet check. And my mom goes, where's Aaron? And he goes, oh, I don't know. He says, she's back there ways. She says, you know, she's been kind of keeping up with me all day. I didn't think she wanted to ride that fast. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, you know that you're sponsoring her, right? And he goes, I am. And she goes, yeah. And he's like, oh, crap, I'm sorry. You know, because he had had too much to drink. So he forgot that he was supposed to sponsor me that day. And uh, it all worked out fine. Um, you know, just 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 silly stuff that happens like that, you know, along the way. And um, so, 
that was that was one of the more amusing ones. The most of the rest of the rides where I was sponsored, it all went kind of without a hitch, and um, oh, good. and everything was pretty pretty good. But um, those two were very memorable, especially Tevis. I mean, it's just a bloody miracle that I made it um, under those conditions, you know. Right. Well, it sounds like you were super prepared. So then you continued a few years later and you came back and tell us about your next Tevis experience as an adult. So I had this long span in between. I'm pretty sure Chapo, after that first Tevis, he knew exactly when the Tevis was. So the week of the ride, there was always some little hiccup where he'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, my leg really hurts and I just can't go. And it was like a joke that he had written the date on the back wall somewhere and he knew what week to limp. He could go the <laughs> whole time until the week of. And, uh, and then I, I did start it a few times in between there. I had one start on Chapo where my stirrup broke in the morning and it was still starting at Squaw Valley. And they used to have a riding stable there, like a horse rental dude stable. And my stirrup broke and, um, I had to turn around and ride against everybody leaving. Cause back by then there was only maybe 300, 350 people starting and they used to do a shotgun start. So I'm two miles up the trail and, and it breaks and I have to go back to see if I can get something, some kind of substitute. And, you know, the way the ride was then, people were leaving with their horse trailers while you were warming up. So when I got back to where the start was, there was nobody. There were no ride officials. There were no horse trailers. It was just a big empty parking lot. So I run over to the stable and there was a kid working there and I was like hey I really need a stirrup <laughs> really bad I'm on this ride blah 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 they wanted me to pay five bucks for the stirrup I'm like I don't have even a granola bar on me I don't have five dollars for no cell phones back then I think that was the 90s some 90 early 90s late 80s and so they finally gave me a stirrup which I still have just for posterity um and got going but by the time I get going I was about 45 minutes behind everybody so we still made it to Robinson Flat by cutoff time. And I was telling people as I was riding back against traffic, tell my mom, tell my mom, tell my mom so she wouldn't worry. And um, nobody remembered, apparently. And so when I finally got into Robinson, I was behind the drag riders. So uh, I get there and Todd Nelson was the head vet and mom was just frantic. Poor My poor mother, she <laughs> worried a lot. And I, she goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm so exhausted and the horse is, you know, the horse looks fine, but I'm mentally fried and I don't want to chase cutoff time all day. So I'm just going to go ahead and bet him through and call it. And, uh, you know, Todd was like, your horse looks good. And you were half an hour before cutoff time. You know, I said, yeah, but all I'm going to do is chase cutoff all day long. And I really don't want to do it. And it was so demoralizing to turn around and ride through a flow of horses going that way that, um, mm -hmm. that I ended up, you know, not doing that. And um, anyway, and then I had a start on Cougar's Fett's mom. Cougar's Fett is the horse that I won the Tevis with both times. And she was doing great. And we rolled into Francisco's in the daylight. And she was just like in it to win it kind of thing in the top 10. And she had apparently taken a hard step on a rock somewhere. And back in those days, you had to let your horse sit for 15 minutes and then go to the vet. They're not the gate and go like they are now. And so, you know, if a horse takes a bad step, you let them sit for five or 10 minutes and they limp a little bit. 
So we got pulled and, you know, hundred yards later, walking up to White Oak Flat to get a ride out, she was sound. But anyway, so then in 91, I started on FET and um, we had a great ride that day. And the horse just was so, she just was such an independent horse. I mean, she just, I love mares anyway, because of that, they tend to be just really, you know, single-minded a lot of times. And um, so we had a fabulous ride that day. And when I was at, excuse me, when I was at um, Francisco's, the head vet was uh, Greg Fellers. And I came in first to Francisco's and Greg said, how's your day going? I said, pretty good. He goes, well, he goes, what are your thoughts? And I said, well, we're, we're not done yet. And there's a lot of rocks between here and Auburn. And I said, to be honest with you, I said, I'm very concerned because I value the Hagen Cup over the win. And I'd rather have the Hagen Cup. And he goes, well, I, yeah, he says, I get that. Because back then, you know, they had never given the Hagen Cup to the winning horse except one time back in the 60s. There was um, two people who won the ride as a tie. And one of the horses that tied got the Hagen Cup. But traditionally, the ride had never given the Hagen Cup to the first place horse. And while I was happy to win the ride, if that's how the day went, I was concerned about not being eligible for the Hagen Cup because of that. And so he goes, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm just going to let her do what she wants to do. You know, she knows where she is. I'll let Fett make her own decisions. And if a better horse comes along and passes me, then it wasn't my day to win the ride. Because I said, right now I'm riding for the Hagen Cup. I'm not riding for the win. So, you know, we went on into town and still ended up in first place, like I think 20 or 25 minutes ahead of the second place horse. And um, my friends Gudrun and Ray Melkers were my main crew. My mom was still alive at the time, so she was helping also. And um, we spent the whole night, you know, walking fat, massaging her, rubbing her legs down, letting her eat grass, letting her eat this, whatever she wanted, um, and showed for Hagen Cup the next day. And I was completely flummoxed when they called our name for the Hagen Cup because, I mean, I was super stoked to win the ride. I don't want to take that away from anybody. I mean, it was an amazing moment. All right. So you just finished telling us about your first Tevis win and Hagen Cup win. And I looked up your record and it shows you went back five years later and did it again. Yeah, I was five years later. Um, I went back and um, in that period of time, in that five-year window, um, I had gotten married, had my two kids. I had bred fit, got a foal out of her. And um, sadly, my mother passed away in 1995. And the following year in 96 and trying to deal with all the things that were going on in my life. I looked at my dad about two months before Tevis and I said, you know, dad, they're having Tevis this year on the same day that Fett and I won in the Hagen Cup and the Tevis Cup in 91. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I kind of would like to feel normal for a minute. And I think I need to take that mare out of the pasture and go do the Tevis again. So he said, well, I support you. And he says, you better call Gudrun and Ray and see if they can crew for you. So I got a hold of them and they were available to crew for me. And I pulled Fett out of the pasture about two months before the ride. Um, went and did a non-sanctioned endurance ride called the Drew Barner 55 that was put on annually up here in 
Georgetown. And it was a great conditioning ride for Tevis. If you finished that, you knew you were golden to go to Tevis. And um, and started their ride that day and just told Fett, well, let's just see how it goes. And we're just going to ride in a bubble between the two of us. And I just needed a minute to not be dealing with my life the way that it was. And it was kind of a surreal experience because I had like the same number of horses in front of me when I rolled into Robinson and I had the same number of horses in front of me when I went out of Robinson. Um, I passed the same number of horses going up to Devil's Thumb. I came into Michigan Bluff in first place the same way I had before. I got passed in the same places on California Loop and then ended up back in the front again going into Francisco's in first place. I mean, it was just surreal how I got this carbon copy ride and um, kind of had a similar conversation with Mitch Benson, who was the head vet that year um, at Francisco's that I had had with Greg Fellers, which was, well, yeah, there's a lot of rocks between me and Auburn and still, and we'll see how it goes if I get passed by a better horse, you know, then that's what the day was supposed to be. And when I got into um, Auburn, uh, you know, they kind of gave me a hard time because they said, well, you're late. I go, what do you mean I'm late? And they go, well, you're 20 minutes, you know, slower than the time you won it before. And I said, <laughs> well, it's been pouring down rain if you haven't noticed and you can't see anything out there. I mean, I said, it is so dark out there. It's unbelievable and uh, slowed me way down. But um you know, there again, I, you know, I was just thrilled to roll across that finish line in first place. And um, I remember Marge Pryor running up to me and giving me a giant bear hug at the finish line. And um, which, of course, my mom did, and, you know, five years before when she was still with us. And Marjorie kind of stepped into her spot for me, which was great. And Marge Pryor, you know, she won the Tevis years before on her horse, Fritz. And, um, Anyway, so then I looked at Goody and Ray and I said, okay, I said, now the work starts. And we did the same thing we did before where, you know, Fett was the queen that got to have everything she wanted. And we did everything we could to make sure she was comfortable and gave her lots of attention and lots of massages and lots of leg rubs. And do would you want this mash or that mash or this hay or that hay or go eat grass and, um, and then showed for Hagen Cup and I didn't think I could do it again. My my horseshoer, when he put shoes on my horse, you know, 10 days prior to Tevis, and uh, that's Frank Pickell, and he'd been my shoer for most of my life. And he goes, what do you think, Aaron? Do you think you can do it again? And I go, no. I said, I don't even think, I don't think anybody can do it again. And I don't think I can either. And uh, so it was just, it was amazing. I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine to have two two days like that that it's hard to tell one from the other. Um, I felt so humbled by the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it just, just was just an amazing thing, amazing thing to happen. There's just no other words. I really am kind of wordless, which is, um, for an English teacher, says a lot <laughs> to not have the words to say how it makes me feel. Yes, I bet you had to pinch yourself. Like, is this really happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I just I, I just felt so thankful, you know, that I had this incredible horse. So, you know, Fett was not a fast horse. Um, she uh, she was a mountain horse. 
And the cool part about her was it was almost like if you ever drove a, a D8 Caterpillar or something like that, where you just put it in a certain gear and it just crawls the same speed everywhere you just point it and it just stays the same, the same, the same. Plus she had this amazing walk, just incredible walk. We could pass so many people on the uphill work that are, you know, walking the canyons or whatever. And, and she would just come up that thing like a beast and eat those canyons alive and made great, great time at the walk. And she took care of herself really well and, and everything, but she wasn't quick. You know, I'd have never made it if I took her to a, a flat endurance ride, something where people did a lot of galloping or anything like that, because this wasn't her thing. Um, but uh, yeah, just she just had this great mind and this great work ethic and, and uh, made her pretty unique amongst the horses that I've ever known. And now you bred her. Do you have any of her offspring? Yeah, I bred her. I, um, her mother, I had purchased when the mare was four and bred her to Cougar Rock, which is a Bezatol son. And, um, and then I bred Fett, uh, twice and, uh, I did not keep the first foal and the second one I have, and he's 21 years old now. And, um, so I, I can still get back to the Bezatol bloodline that she has in there and everything else, but I can't get back to that old Appaloosa mare. The, uh, Fett's grandmother was this big clunky athletic opinionated Appaloosa mare. So I lost connection with that, with having her son who's a gelding, but uh, I've been pretty lucky. You know, I've been on those horses since I was 13 and I'll be 55 in March. So I got a few more years before that bloodline is, is finished for me. Now, do you think you'll ever do Tevis again? I would love to go do Tevis again. Um, you know, I served on the board for a long time. I was ride director in 2009. Um, I've been cup committee chair uh, in 2007 and served on the cup committee, I don't know, multiple times. Um, I used to put on the fundraiser ride for Western States when I was a board member. And I, even though I left the board because I didn't have time to continue to be of help on that capacity. I've always been there. Like my husband and I, except for last year, were canceled for, you know, COVID and all that other stuff. We've been down at Francisco's the last five years helping at that vet check. Um, and, you know, I've never had a year that I wasn't involved, but I didn't have, I didn't have the time or the opportunity to get a horse ready for quite a long time. Um, when my kids were going through middle and high school, it was really all about them and the things they were doing, um, ski team and cross country and band mm -hmm. and soccer mm -hmm. and all that. So Tahoe, which is Fett's son, my gelding, who's 21 this year, he was just that perfect horse for me to have during that time in my life. I could ride him or not ride him. And every day was like I rode him every day. You know, he's just that kind of horse. Um so I would really like to get back and, and ride the Tevis again. And now that my life is a little less complicated, you know, I'm finally going to be able to. And last year I wanted, I wanted to try to ride it last year and then it got canceled. And um, I don't know about this year or not um, because we are going to go to the Tahoe Rim ride and it's either the week before or the week after. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't have. I'm not deep enough in horses that I have something to go to Tevis and then the following week or the week before to do Tahoe Rim. So right. That's a I'm that's saying. a tough that's a tough fifty. <laughs> Yeah, it's not something that you can, you know, let's do Tevis and Tahoe Rim back to back, I think is a little much to ask for one, one horse. So I'm, I'm going to see if I can kind of tell my husband's been riding Tahoe and say, you know, um, I really want to do both. So I'm going to take you out of Tahoe Rim and, um, and let, you know, so I can ride both. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll, we'll see. But I, I do plan to uh to get back to it and um and ride again you know um because i i don't know it's just something about the tevis that's really kind of mesmerizing that keeps people coming back on on any level whatever that level happens to be right yes i know i i'm that way too and i found for me i um enter within like a couple weeks of the ride and everything seems to go better <laughs> yes. because I'm, I'm not stressing out all year like all my other friends are. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I have all these weird superstitions. Like every time I entered the Tevis before Memorial Day, I never made it to the starting line. So now I have to wait until after Memorial Day. And, um, you know, and then I, just all these other weird kind of things. Like I have to make the decision late too. I have to almost beat a Memorial Day before I go, oh, I don't know. Do I really feel like it? And mm-hmm. then, and then if I do, then I go for it and hope that it's okay. The day, the times that I've started, even, even though there's a few that I didn't finish the times I've started, it's always been a, a late entry kind of thing. Like you're just saying, um, to, to enter really early, uh, has always been just a, a recipe for disaster for me as far as if the disaster is you don't get to start. Um, the other superstition I have is I never condition a backup horse because every year that I conditioned a backup horse, neither one of them made it. To oh, the start no. line. <laughs> so I'm like, yep, nope, that's not going to work either. Um, you know, it just weird. We have all these weird little glitches about Tevis to try to get there and, and, and make it, you know, and then, and then the years that I do ride, I always watch Tombstone Thursday <laughs> before. I watch Tombstone and I especially pay attention to how they are when they're walking down to OK Corral. OK. And, I, and then and then I practice that walk <laughs> until I put my foot in the stirrup sat on Saturday morning. So that's the other thing that I have to do. I got to watch Tombstone. You've got your superstitions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, Aaron, well, let's wrap this up. And I want to thank you again for joining us and telling us your stories. Love hearing them. Well, thank you for having me. It's wonderful. I really uh, enjoyed uh, being able to talk with you and, um, and that whole idea too, of working with the, the juniors and getting them going is a really great one. I super, super appreciate that and definitely support that too. Thanks. So uh, great to talk about start again. Endurance riders have the best stories, right? They sure do. So, uh, speaking of stories, you have stories about hoof boots because you've been using Renegades for a long time. I'm sure you have stories. I, well, I guess, you know, mostly what I want in a hoof boot is I just want no drama. I just want them to work. Ah, and- I, now I get it. You don't want <laughs> stories about your hoof boots. Now I get it. 
If you can help it, yes. And so I've been, you know, getting my new horse, Apollo, used to using his renegades. And uh, he's doing very well in them. Um, Just, you know, when you get a new horse, you got to get him used to all sorts of new things. Especially if they've led a sheltered life like my horse has. And so we've been, you know, getting him ready to to go out and do some miles and he's been using his boots and they've been working really good. We actually decided because of um, working through some of his hoof issues that he had when I got him, um, he didn't have the best developed heel bulbs. So what we did is I worked with Renegade and we came up with using the Viper base on it along with the regular classic Renegade Captivator. And that accommodates his hoof shape and his heel bulb shape as best as we possibly could. And that's been working really good. And that's the nice thing with Renegade is they're an American-made company. The boots are made in Arizona. And they can help you with sizing and fitting and doing things like what we did for Apollo to get the most optimum optimum, um, boot for the size and shape of your horse's foot. And uh, you can learn more at renegadehoofboot.com. They come in several different colors. So you can also match uh, for each horse so that you can tell the sizes uh, apart and the boots from one horse to the other, which is really nice. And I've ridden, um, clearly I've proven that they work. I've ridden Tevis in them. Uh, in the strap-on version, uh, I've done the glue-on version as well, but I've also done many, many thousands of miles. I've had two horses go over 10,000 miles in Renegades. There you go. So, and it's all about the fit. And that's, again, like you, like you said, it's the good part about Renegade is they're made here. The people who own the company have them made. So they really know the product inside out. You're talking to the top of the food chain. You're not dealing with a distributor who the only information they have is what's in the literature. They really know their stuff. And there's a lot of people who use them. So if you want to find someone local who can help you through it, it's like, oh, God, I don't even know how to measure it. There, there are local people all over the place in all sorts of disciplines who can help you out, too. So contact Renegade, Renegade Hoof Boots, and check it out today. Now. Check it out today. Speaking of checking it out, you need to check out the AERC and see what's going on in your local area as far as rides because it's prime ride season in a lot of places. Yes, it is, especially in your part of the country, Jen. Our neck of the woods. We're still kind of digging out uh, up in my area. Um, We do have some rides coming up. So if you want to look at that, go to the AERC.org website and look at the calendar. Uh, we've also got something new going on for our junior and young writers. We, um, uh, the junior committee is sponsoring or hosting monthly Zoom meetings for these guys so that they can get together, meet each other, talk about their concerns and their goals and encourage each other and just meet up. So, if you are a junior or young writer or you know somebody that is, um, tell them to go on Facebook and look up the junior and young writer meet and greet 
page. And from there, they can join and they can sign up. We've got a link to a, a form they can fill out to get notified of upcoming meetings and the topics that we're going to be discussing during them. There you go. All of that and more. So check it out today. And uh, that about wraps it up. So find links about today's show at horsesinthemorning.com. This is the episode for February 9th, 2021, number 2615. If you're listening to this in 2025, uh, I suggest before you listen that you go to your search engine and search COVID-19, and then you'll be up to speed <laughs> on all the references. <laughs> And Horses in the Morning will be back again tomorrow with lots more fun and games. For folks who want to follow your adventures, Karen, where can you be found? Uh, NV Endurance Writer there you on go. Twitter or Facebook. There you go. And thanks again. We'll see you next month. <laughs>